lots of news and excitement happening in Rangers land this past week. Zach Jones signs his entry-level contract. The Igor Shesterkin, Ilya Sorokin era officially begins. And general manager Jeff Gorton discusses the trade deadline. We'll dive into where the rebuild currently stands and what the priorities should be for the remainder of the season as the post's Larry Brooks drops by. Our special guest this week is Jillian Kemmerer, and she has all you need to know on the Shesterkin-Sorokin connection. All that and more is next on episode 52 of Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. Ladies and gentlemen, that you direct your attention to center ice for a special Welcome back to the Up in the Blue Seats podcast, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Go on Apple Podcasts right this instant and write us a nice review and give us a five-star rating. Larry Brooks will join us in his weekly spot later in the show. The host of the Icecast, love that name, Jillian Kemmerer will join us as well. But now, here they are, your host of Up in the Blue Seats podcast. It's the New York Post Stone. You saw her on NHL Network last week. Molly Walker and Rangers great number 10, Ron Duguay. Hi, everyone. And yes, it's been a fun week. Always something happening in the hockey world. And this week, because Molly is going to be with us, UMass, 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 yes, they won, <laughs> NCAA champions, and we're going to discuss that. Yeah, and Zach Jones, our own, the Rangers' own Jack Jones is part of this. And we'll be able to discuss that. And not long ago, we talked to him about possibly coming to New York, and things have changed. How funny how things change when you win. But this past week, with the Rangers playing the Devils, the two teams are really play, they're really looking like they're competing hard and the Rangers come off a big win. I love how these two teams are continuing that rivalry. And in that game, Buchnevich scores the third goal. And in that third goal, he ended up scoring the 20,000 goal scored in Ranger history. And just so you know, who scored number 10,000? My good friend, Ron Greshner. And because I've been part of the Ranger organization for eight years, I account for about 165 of those. So I just kind of had to throw <laughs> that in there. But this past week, yes, it was a trade deadline. Molly, what is it that you know about the possibilities and things that might have happened, did happen? What happened as far as the trade deadline with the New York Rangers? Well, Ron, we talked about it a little bit last week. The Rangers were neither buyers nor spenders. They are just somewhere in the middle right now. I didn't really expect them to make any big moves, and there were no big moves that were made. We got to speak to Jeff Gordon the other day. He said that he feels like a lot of good things are happening. He was very optimistic in the press conference. He talked about how the young players are getting added ice time, although I know a lot of you out there probably don't agree with that. But he did say he didn't want to bring in any players to take away from the time that they've been getting. So I think that all you fans out there that are wanting to see the youngins get a little bit more time will be happy to hear that he feels the same way. Gorton discussed Tony D'Angelo, revealed that he did have some conversations with teams about him, but nothing really materialized. We'll get into Tony a little bit more with Larry Brooks later in the show. Gordon also gave an update on Nils Lundqvist, the 20-year-old Swedish defenseman who had a pretty good year in the SHL with 32 points in 52 games. 
Gordon talked about how it's difficult to get top players over here at the end of the season because of the world championships, but that he's certain he's going to be part of the mix next year. So expect to see Lundqvist. It's so hard with Henrik Lundqvist, Lundqvist. I'm not really sure about the pronunciation. I promise I'll work on it as he comes over here, but we'll probably see him compete for a spot on the Rangers blue line at the next training camp. Gorton did give a little evaluation of Morgan Barron. I know a lot of people are anxious to see the big bodied center out of Cornell get some time. It seems like the organization is happy with what they've seen, but with the team still kind of in the playoff push right now, he'll probably stay down in Hartford for a little bit longer. There's definitely a possibility he sees some time at the end of the season if the Rangers do lose their position in the playoff hunt. But yes, as you mentioned earlier, let us transition into the real news of the week. Go UMass national champions. I'm not going to say I didn't cry because I did. I watched them lose two years ago to Minnesota Duluth. I was in the building at in Buffalo. So it was a really, really big moment for me. But yeah, Ron, we had Zach Jones on a couple months ago and a lot has changed since then. You know, because I asked him that question, what are your thoughts about coming to the Rangers next year? Because I was thinking he's had made up his mind he was going to come to the New York. And his answer to us was, uh, I don't feel like I'm ready. I need to continue working on my strength, probably lower body strength. Not a big guy, but a very skilled guy. And after winning the championship, all of a sudden he's here. He's in New York. He's skating with Mm -hmm. the team. Do you have any idea what happened there? Was it just Rangers convincing him to come? Or do you really believe that he's ready to play? I do. I feel like one of two things happened. The national championship really was a game changer for him. Or the Rangers did come calling because... If Zach Jones stayed at UMass for his four or full years of college, he would have been an unrestricted free agent by the time that he graduated. So the Rangers probably wanted to lock him down now and make sure that if they want him for themselves, that he's here, he's under contract and they have the right to do that. Or if they wanted to use him as trade bait, they could also make sure that he doesn't, you know, they don't lose his draft rights and and they don't let him walk away for nothing. I did listen to an interview with UMass head coach Greg Carville on Spit and Chicklets where Carville said he was a little surprised Jones went pro because he felt like he wasn't physically ready yet. And like you said, Ron, when he was on our podcast a mere two months ago, he was pretty adamant about staying in college for at least at the very least, another year. But a a national championship does change things, understandably. I'm very curious to hear what changed his mind from then until this week. I do think that, like I said earlier, if the Rangers are out of the playoff hunt, then Zach Jones will definitely get some time. I feel like the Rangers definitely want him to let him, let him get a head start on getting comfortable at the NHL level, but he does burn a year of his three-year entry-level deal no matter what signing this year. So we shall see. I'm very, very anxious to get to talk to him from media. I, not only do I want to hear about his experience winning a national championship, because that is just the greatest thing to happen in my life. I can't even imagine what it was like for him. But for now, coming up is Jillian, uh, whom you have not met. We had her on the show last year. She's a great guest. 
she's very familiar with Russian hockey players. So with you not meeting her, what is it that you're most excited about talking to her about? Uh, I just can't wait to pick her brain about the Shesterk and Sorokin rivalry. She really is going to take us through the history of when they met as teenagers at the Russian development camp and how they've just fostered this friendship. And, and off, off the air, we were talking about how there's a lot of rumors swirling around that set, talk about how these two guys used to play NHL video games as the Rangers and Islanders. <laughs> That's just a little intel into what their friendship is like. And we're just, we're really seeing history here. It's the first of probably many, many, many matchups between these two. And they really are just stud goalies out of Russia. And it's just such a great chapter in the Islander Rangers rivalry. And, and I personally have been waiting. It took until the fifth game for it to happen. I mean, it was, you know, Shesterkin and Varlamov, and then it was Georgiev and Varlamov, and then Georgiev and Sorokin. And it's just like, oh, we really just want to see the two buddies go head to head. And and it took so long. It took until the fifth match, but she's going to really take us through that. All right. Well, the rivalry that continues is the Rangers and the Devils. Last game, those two teams play with a lot of heat. A lot of energy, two teams that play at a fast pace. The Rangers end up winning, as expected, because I think they're a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But it was an important game for the Rangers to win because they really played hard as a team, and tonight they play again. So this thing continues. And with the Rangers playing the way they are right now, with four points behind Boston, Boston added uh, Taylor Hall. The one thing, and everyone's thinking, well, Boston's got all these games against Buffalo. But when you watch that last game, I watched the game against Buffalo, where Buffalo is actually playing much better. They had to go into overtime to beat Buffalo. So it's not a sure thing that Boston's going to win all these games against Buffalo. So I'm asking you now, Molly, do you still feel <laughs> that the Rangers, the way they're playing now, if they stay healthy, they're getting good goaltending. Do you still believe that there's no chance that they're going to make the playoffs? I unfortunately think that with the amount of games that the Bruins have in hand and the fact that they still have some games against the Sabres coming up, they do have kind of an easier path to hold on to that fourth playoff spot. And the Rangers are playing the Devils and the Islanders a couple more times and wrapping up against the Bruins in the last two games of the season. So it is an uphill battle for them going forward here. I am very curious to see if they're able. I mean, the last, what is it, the last five, six games, they've been trading off wins and losses. So you got to go on a run here in order to be able to make this happen. And obviously, Boston needs to lose a couple of games. But I definitely, like you mentioned, I think that the Rangers looked pretty good against the Devils, and they had to because the Devils are just cleaning house right now. They are really go diving deep into the in their rebuild, and they're dishing out a couple of players. They just sent Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac over to the Islanders for their playoff run. So they're giving away their, their veterans. They're giving away some of their top talent. So that was a Devils team that looked completely different than the one that we saw at the beginning of the year. And one thing I definitely want to point out is there were two fights in the game and we got three more games coming up. So I'm very excited to see the physical aspect of this because it was, like you said, a real heated game. Ron, this doesn't sound like a girl that's seen the movie Miracle a billion times. I mean, <laughs> she sounds like a quitter. She's given up. And that's not the miracle mindset, Molly. I don't know what you're talking about. I am an unbiased journalist. I call it how I see it. Do not insult me. I've seen Miracle. I could recite the entire Herb Brooks 
miracle speech if I had to right here and now. So don't insult me like that. I had a snuggle <laughs> session watching Miracle about a month ago. I think oh, I yeah? texted you. I, I said you you would be proud. I'm I'm watching Miracle right now for it was like the maybe second time, not the hundred fiftieth time. Um, but Molly, you were on NHL Network as well. Ron's been doing it, you know, for over a dozen, twenty years, whatever it the number is. How is uh, the TV experience? I am going to be quite honest with you. I really, I froze up and I will totally call myself out. I was talking about the three big games that the Rangers have had, the the eight goal wins, the two eight goal wins that they've had, and then, and then the nine goal win over the Flyers. And when I was mentioning the second eight goal win over Pittsburgh, I said Philadelphia instead. And I have been hitting myself over the head for the last week and a half. I was so disappointed in myself. My mom had to literally talk me off the ledge. She was like, no one's gonna notice and I was like but I notice and I know so I was very upset but it's very daunting I was just really complimenting Ron because I don't know how you do it I don't know how you stand on national television and just form complete sentences all the time it's really it's 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 difficult Ron, Ron. G- Ron give her some pointers right now for us <laughs> well let me just say this it took me a good four years because I didn't go to school I did not go to school for that because I would be interviewed I could be interviewed all day long that's my comfort zone but all yeah. of a sudden when you do it as work and then that light comes on that light comes on you got two seconds to get ready right that light comes on your body kind of freezes and you go into this other place a lot of it is just preparation right if you know your stuff and you rehearse more than likely it's going to come out but the thing with live tv it's almost like when i'm it's like being a player like you're competing you think you know what you're going to do but you're never really sure how you're going to do and as far as how you feel after it's all over it's like being a player i tell you like you do all the things that you think that are going to get you a win. You practice, you think, you know, you talk to your teammates. It's the same thing during television. You rehearse, you talk, but you don't really know till it's all over and you say, wow, that was a good show or that was a good game. You don't know until it's over. There you go, Molly. TV 101. There you go. I can't wait to Ron I can't wait to do TV. I'm going to be a star on TV. I got that I got that thing locked down. I just got to get these damn teeth fixed and lose about 20 pounds. But once the teeth and 20 pounds it's over for all of you. Uh, once, I'm, once I'm on the team. Well, you're going to have to let me dress you, though. <laughs> oh, 100%. You could have, that, that's going to be Ron Duguay's third act. We got the career as the Rangers. We've got the podcast up in the blue seats. Third act is going to be Jake Brown's stylist. Listen, I got some great blazers. Listen, I got some golden blazers. I gotta, I'm got. i going to get one with my mom before I have my brother's wedding at the end of the month. So I'm going to get some blazer re-ups, and I'll be looking fresh. So don't worry about that. <laughs> I'm so excited about our special guest this week. She is currently the host of IceCast, the official podcast of the KHL, and the author of The Face-Off and Ice Diaries. She's covered numerous high-profile events from several Olympics to the 2018 World Cup and written for Sports Express, Russia's largest sports newspaper, a go-to source for all the latest information on Russian hockey players. Please welcome Jillian Kemmerer. Jillian, how are you? Thanks for joining us. 
Thanks for having me and thanks for the kind introduction. I finally get to meet the Molly Walker whose articles I read every morning in the post when it arrives. Oh my God, stop it. You honor me, you honor me. Having you on this week was really perfect timing following the Igor Shostjurkin, Ilya Sorokin first meeting the other night. I have been dying to get some insight into their relationship. I've read a lot of things online, but I was hoping you could really take us through the start of their friendship and how it's evolved over the years and why Rangers fans should be excited about this next chapter in the rivalry with the Islanders. So there was this great ESPN 30 for 30, I'm not sure if you've seen it, called Unmatched, about the relationship between um, Everett and Navratilova at the height of their tennis careers. And I laughed when I saw it because it reminded me so much of these two teenage goaltenders who met at a Team Russia camp when they were 16 and then went on to become the two best goaltenders in Russia. And they were just this unbelievable pair of talents that were rising at the same time. And what's so interesting is that they were rising at either end of a mega rivalry in the KHL, which is Moscow-St. Petersburg. So even though Sorokin started off at Novokuznetsk, and that's kind of an interesting story in and of itself, he winds up at Red Army, which is an iconic team in Russia, and he's up again against Shostyorkin at SKA, St. Petersburg. So the two probably highest profile, best finance teams in the K. And they wind up, you know, trading every victory imaginable and vying for that Team Russia spot. So the fact that they were drafted at either end of the New York rivalry was just kind of history couldn't have written it better. They've really spurred each other on. I talked to Ilya, um, I guess this would have been at the All-Star game in January of 2020, so the last one he played. And I said to him, like, how do you stay friends with the guy that's breathing down your neck or vice versa in the standings all the time? And he just said, it's a friendship that has made us better, and I hope that it will continue to. Um, but they have a very kind of fun relationship. I see, um, for example, Ilya's dad liking or or Igor's dad liking Ilya's posts on social media. So it's clear it's like an all in the family thing. So yeah, it's a cool relationship. Jillian, as a Canadian, being part of the National Hockey League, I've seen a lot of good hockey players come in and out of Canada, forwards, Gretzky, Lemieux, and also some great goaltending. But in recent years out of Russia, we're seeing some fabulous goaltending. Is there something that's going on as far as the teaching of the young goaltenders that's been different? Because Canada's just not producing the goaltenders they used to. Well, it's absolutely no accident when you have uh, Vladislav Tretiak, the great Soviet goaltender, as the president of the Russian Hockey Federation. So back in 2008, he was sort of the newly minted president. He's looking around at the Russian Super League at the time, and he's saying to himself, I have to put together a team for the World Championships and I don't have a goalie. The Russian Super League is relying heavily on foreign goaltenders, and he's staying up until 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning watching the Stanley Cup playoffs and deep down secretly praying that Yevgeny Nabokov is going to be eliminated so that he is going to be available to join the camp for Worlds. And that's when Tretiak realized, okay, we need to do something. So right away, he instates a tax on foreign goaltenders, a very, very hefty tax that clubs have to pay if they want to keep a foreign goalie. And for most clubs, this is prohibitive. It's impossible to have a foreign netminder and to pay that tax. 
So it incentivizes them to start producing their own goaltenders. Now, over time, that tax has actually been phased out, but it's still that you have a limit of one foreign goaltender on a Russian domestic club. But it's created this opportunity set for Russian goalies to be raised and not just to, to be developed within the system. And there are some great goaltending coaches. So you have you know guys like Nikolai Mishin, who trains Sorokin at Novokuznetsk, um, who are you know very steeped in that Soviet tradition of athletic conditioning and agility, but they're also getting minutes in top clubs. They're getting long playoff runs like both Sorokin and Shostyorkin did, and they're getting more opportunities. And Tretiak is 100% the reason that that has been the case. I mean, whether we're looking at Vasilevsky or we're looking at Varlamov, Shostyorkin, Sorokin, it's very, very clear that we're seeing a golden age of Russian goaltending. And he was instrumental in that. And in fact, he actually attends the goaltending camps himself. So it's an area that they've invested in heavily, and they're really starting to reap the rewards. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. Who is better, Sorokin or Shostyorkin? If we look at the KHL, this is a tough question. If you look at the KHL, their statistics are neck and neck. It's almost impossible to say one over the other. So then it kind of comes down to, I think, personal preference. And I'm not just saying this because I'm on a Rangers podcast. I genuinely mean it. There is something about Shostyorkin that when he's on the ice, I can't take my eyes off of him. He is lightning fast. I mean, the agility, the dexterity, but also the patience and a little bit of the showmanship that he's got going on. There's, I don't want to call it arrogance, but there's an edge to him. Whereas Sorokin, he's a bit, actually, when he first started at Red Army, he was a bit more of an aggressive goaltender. And over time, I asked his childhood coach about this and he said, you get thrown into Red Army and you've got to prove yourself. So of course there was an aggressiveness both on and off the ice and the psychology of how to deal with walking into one of Russia's most storied teams. But over time, his patience has really developed and he makes these wonderful acrobatic saves that everyone remembers, you know, kind of click and you have the perfect highlight reel save. But Shostyorkin for me has always been just a bit more intriguing, maybe a bit more elusive. But I have to say Sorokin's a lot of fun to talk to. He has a great dry sense of humor and he's been working very hard hard on his English. And I'm sure you've noticed that Molly interviewing him. Well, you definitely won some brownie points with the Rangers fans listening to this, but I think you did a nice job of balancing out the compliments there. But now I know the Panarin assault allegations have passed and it's been pretty disproved, but considering it was one of the most notable things to happen to a Rangers player in a really long time, I, I did want to pick your brain on on your reporting of the situation and anything you could share on Andre Nazarov in particular, the KHL, the former KHL coach who made the serious accusations. Do you even know what he's doing now or where he stands or just anything that you'd be willing to offer on that situation? The KHL uh, made a statement around the time that the news broke saying that they had never received a a report of any kind of misconduct uh, or any kind of incident that occurred in the time frame that Nazarov had stated. And in fact, a lot of articles, a lot of authors in Russia were coming out with stories, interviewing members of that team. um, And there was just no recollection of any kind of assault or any kind of, of police activity. I know that the hotel was contacted, et cetera. Um, Nazarov has a history of being a hothead. I think that that's maybe a, a nice way even of putting it. So, you know, in general, there's, you know, a lot of speculation around what his potential uh, motives could have been. But in general, Panarin, both 
in North America and, and to a large extent in Russia too, has always been billed as a, a person of great character um, and a great member of, of a team. And so in general, I found that both the media and the KHL included sort of stood up and said, we have absolutely no proof that this happened. And, and the allegations and the timing were, were rather suspect. Well, Jillian, I have a follow-up to that. That being the case, why so long? Why do you think Panarin stayed out of the game so long? Nine games. You know, when you think about the Rangers may fall short, maybe two points or four points, you got to look at those nine games that he did not play as. Why? For me, I'm, I'm wondering why. Had it been something serious that kept him at home, do you have any thoughts on that? I think that in general, whenever you're receiving accusations like this, the first thought is probably for your family. And, and you have to remember that Elisa Znarek, who is his significant other, uh, her father is a head coach in the KHL. All of Panadin's family are in Russia at the moment. So I think, and I'm speculating here, I don't know for sure, but my my general feeling would be he was probably working to secure his family, making sure that if these allegations were unrolling, that maybe there weren't more to follow or that there weren't any other situations that may threaten anyone else close to him. Obviously, it's a very, very touchy subject. Um, and I'm sure that his first concern was for everyone around him. Um, and that was probably going to take precedence. Of course, the Rangers needed him. And of course, I'm sure he was aching to play. But he also had a lot to sort out at home. And, and I was just so thrilled when I, I finally did see him back on the ice. Well, I want to go back to Shesterkin because you described him as a player, a little bit as a person. But I'm really impressed with what how he answered to his shutout, his first shutout in the NHL. His answer is this. It's obviously means a lot. I want to thank all the players who played in front of me, blocked shots all game, especially at the end when it was so meaningful to me to get this win and the shutout. They did it for me. I mean, they did it for me, like really sincere. I'm so thankful. It's not often you hear this from goaltenders. I think you don't hear enough of this. Because when you think about it, who's your best friend out there as a goaltender? The defenseman, guys in front of you. And when he says this, having played the game, my goodness, you want to block more shots. You want to play for this guy. So what does it say to his character? I think that there is such a, a beautiful sense of collectivity in, in the Russian hockey culture and in Shesterkin's character. I mean, when you look back at Anatoly Tarasov, the architect of the Soviet hockey program, he famously wrote that everyone is a servant of the puck carrier. A team is the servant of the puck carrier. You're playing for your team and for your line, uh, not for yourself. And, and very often it was the collective achievement that was put forward ahead of the individual achievement. And I think that this is something that continues to be pervasive in a lot of cases. Shostyorkin, despite having a lot of bravado and confidence, has never come across as arrogant or selfish. And when I saw him playing uh, with the Rangers, even back before Lundqvist had departed, I was really impressed with how the team played in front of him. So I think that that collective mindset um, is something that he's brought with him across the pond and that's translated. I mean, obviously, uh, he's got some work to do on his English uh, if he chooses to, uh, but he still seems to engender that kind of warmth and that team camaraderie. And I think it's something that's a hallmark of the Russian system. And it's something that I'm so glad to hear. But yeah, those comments are absolutely beautiful. You can't ask for more than that, can you? Jillian, it's Jake here. Uh, welcome to the podcasting world. I, I just wanted to know how your experience, which I love the name, the Ice Cast. It sounds like the next superhero or Avenger character. Um, how is the Ice Cast experience treating you? Well, first of all, Jake, uh, I can't thank you enough because you were the first person I called when I found out that I was going to be hosting the podcast. And you so kindly shared your New York Post podcast fairy dust with me across the <laughs> pond. So thank you for all of your wisdom and support. 
It has been so much fun. We've had some great guests. And for me personally, I, I've had such a privilege to come over to Russia and to see a, a world that I think is often misunderstood or, or even misconstrued. And I've gotten to see fan bases and cultures and players and coaches that have such special personalities and characters. So having the chance to help them transmit their voices and their story out to the broader world has been a huge honor. But yeah, we, we're having a lot of fun. And we actually have two guests coming up that Rangers fans might be interested in, as a matter of fact. Is that like a tease? You can't give them away? Do we get the TMZ I Ice can. Cast exclusive I can, here? I can. One of them actually was a coach in the Rangers organization, Mike Polino. He crossed the pond to coach with Mike Keenan, and they won um, – the Gagarin Cup, and then actually Polino went on to win it again. But he told some stories about doing a karaoke late night with Mike Keenan after Magneto Gorsk wins. So that might be of interest. I think Ron Duguay has had some late night karaoke experiences with Mike <laughs> Keenan, right, Ron? He was at Studio 54. He was too busy. <laughs> we haven't mentioned Studio 54 in a while, so you know we're due. We're due. Go ahead, Ron. <laughs> well, I'm going to say when you talk about Mike, Mike is uh, is not the guy that you think he is when you think about Iron Mike. I've had a lot of fun times with Mike and I've been in Russia with him yes late nights him and I have sang together on stage so I'm proof of that did you do my way with Frank Sinatra that's his big one that's his showstopper is my way Frank Sinatra I can't remember it it was a queen uh we are the champions we were doing we're a part of an event in Switzerland and we didn't win but we played the song anyways because we finished at last place. So we're making fun of ourselves. Well, that's all we got for you today, Jillian. All of you listeners can follow her on Twitter at Jillian Kemmerer. Thanks for your time, Jillian, and we'll have you on again soon. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Up next is our one and only New York Post Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer, Larry Brooks. You can follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy and read his stories in the post and at nypost.com. Larry, starting off with the news of the week, you wrote a little bit about the interest in Tony D'Angelo as the trade deadline passed this Monday. What is the latest on that front and what do you expect to happen? Well, the latest is that at this point, D'Angelo will not be protected by the Rangers in the expansion draft. It's extremely unlikely that Seattle will take him. I mean, why would they? They'd be able they'll have a shot at him as a free agent because the Rangers are going to buy him out if he's not selected. And and then um, after learning that there were at least a few teams that were interested if he had become a free agent prior to the deadline, uh, learning that. I, I think he'll have a few options over this summer. I, I, I don't know what kind of a deal he'll be able to sign, but there was a scenario where if he could have worked out a deal with a, with another team, he would have then asked the Rangers to put him on irrevocable waivers. His contract would have been terminated, and then he could have signed. But apparently everything just did not quite come together, and so here he is remaining on the taxi squad for the rest of the season. And then in uh, in July, he will go on to the market. Larry, I guess for the Rangers, when you talk about the youth and defensemen, uh, they're having a nice problem right now moving forward. And the one player I'd like to talk about, we, we haven't really discussed his game, and that's Hayek. Uh, you commented on his play, and you said he's made significant progress. Exactly. What do you mean by that? Because for me, I'm watching him, and I can tell the confidence in him is growing. The way he's managing the puck, he's making less mistakes. He's taking chances, which is fine at different times, but he's really turning into a player. 
but he's quietly been good. Yeah, I think you answered your own question. That's that's pretty much what I would have said. What I what I noticed about him, he's making better decisions with the puck, and I think he's more prepared to make the play in his own end. I think he's he's been able to slow it down a little bit. And so that he's looking, you know, he's a play ahead. He's, he's able to make the first pass and then he'll jump into the play. Listen, there are some shifts where they get trapped. There's, there's no question about it. He and, and Smith, but for a third pair, I, I think they've been reasonably reliable, certainly over the last two to three weeks. And, and I do, I, I, I see there's, there's more confidence. And, and one of the things the other day, Libor was on a, a Zoom call the other morning and his first year and, and even into the second year, the coaching staff continually remarked about how he put so much pressure on himself because he didn't want to let the organization down with the Tampa trade. And he knew he was, you know, he was the valued piece coming over in that deal. And he had just put so much pressure on himself not to be a disappointment. And so I actually asked him the other morning if he still felt that. And he said, no, he said he had, he'd gone past that. And I think that's an important step for him. You know, he's, He's still only 23 years old. You know, he he has been eclipsed in a lot of ways by the sexier names and the and the and the higher draft picks that the Rangers have picked up. But he's still a very young guy who is making his way through. And the other thing about Hayek is that each of his first two years were ended well. He suffered a serious injury in each of his first two years, and so that certainly set him back a little bit. So, I've liked what I've seen from from Hayek over the last month or so. So with Libor Hayek, Zach Jones just signs the other day. Jeff Gorton talks about how Nils Lundqvist is probably going to come over next season. I have a real simple and straightforward question for you, Larry. When does David Quinn start prioritizing next season with the last 14 games of this season on the horizon? Not until they're eliminated from the playoffs. (laughs) That's not going to happen. Zach Jones will play if the Rangers think that he has more value than Hayek. He'll play, but Zach Jones is not going to play just to get him a taste going into next season. I think, you know, if and when they're eliminated, then I think the switch turns. And then I think probably Morgan Barron plays, and then maybe someone else comes up. Maybe Reunion gets a game or so. Maybe they play Gearston. Maybe they bring him up. Uh, maybe they even take a look at Ty Ronning. But, you know, uh, as long as they are in it, they are not going to turn over into next year. That's, that's, I think, a decision that was made two or three weeks ago. And they have done nothing but improve their position or at least solidify their position over the last two or three weeks. They're playing their best hockey of the year. There are very encouraging signs for them. So they are not going to shut this down in order to get a head start on next year. I think that was something they could have done a few weeks ago. It's something that I suggested was the right course. They seem to ignore me. <laughs> and, and here they are in a playoff. And, and here they are kind of on the outside of a race, but you know, close enough that it's somewhat realistic, but they just have to keep winning. They, you know what, if, if they started turning over right now with the position they're in and they started experimenting and making moves to try and get a, a, a head start in next season, they would lose the veterans on the team. And they might lose the kids too, you know, because listen, Philip Hedo wants to make the playoffs. So Alexei Lafreniere wants to make the playoffs. Libor Hayek wants to make the playoffs, you know. 
So, you know, they they are not going to pull the rug out from, from under these guys' skates now. It, it, would, it just wouldn't work. You know, it, it, it's nothing they could do at this point. Larry, another player that wants to make the playoffs is Sturkin. He gets his first shutout last game. And I'm not going to read you what he said. I'm sure you read his quote on asked about the shutout, but he was really complimenting the guys in front of him, defense in front of him, blocking shots, the sacrifice. And it was all about them. This is something that we don't see and we don't hear about or don't hear about enough. What are your thoughts on that? This is the way he's been pretty much since he came last year. And this is one of the many impressive traits of his. He is a seems to certainly from someone from the outside. He seems to be a consummate teammate, and he never takes credit. I mean, never takes credit for anything. He's, he is always deflecting credit. He is always a, he is always assigning credit elsewhere. And I, he's a hard worker. He's a goaltender who it's very easy, I, I suspect, for his players, his teammates to play for too. I mean. They make sacrifices for him. You know, he says they, you know, they made those sacrifices for me. And I think, you know, to an extent, they're making sacrifices in order to win games. I, I don't, I, I don't know that they throw themselves in front of shots any more readily when he's there than, you know, if, if Georgiev is playing or Kincaid was playing or, you know, Lundqvist last year. But I, I think there's something to Shesterkin being a, a very, very genuine athlete who appreciates the experience here and he appreciates his teammates. The only question about Shesterkin, or certainly the essential question about Shesterkin, was his durability. At least that's, that was for me. Not his talent, not, not his mentality, but his durability. And since he's come back from the last injury, he is gone. He, is, he has played more games than we've seen him play before. He's, he's holding up perfectly. Every indication is the Rangers have the franchise goalie. They, they always anticipated they would have when he came over. And, and, you know, the first couple of weeks of the season, there were some bumps in the road. We talked about it a lot. I wrote about it a lot. He has overcome them, and he is in the exact position in his second year, his first full year, and, and if you want to even consider this a full year, but his you know, his first full season in the NHL, he is he is poised to be one of the league's top goaltenders for a while. What are you seeing from Chris Kreider lately? He hasn't had a goal since March 28th and is on one of those cold streaks right now. But he did kind of carry the team during Panarin's absence. You've you've written about Chris a lot, so just what are you seeing from him right now? I'm not sure, and it's more difficult getting a read on him because you never get to talk to him. And, you know, Chris was somebody I would speak to all the time. And I would, I would just talk to him all the time. And he was around, you know, most of the time. And, you know, you check in with him all the time. And you had some idea what he was thinking. You know, now it's impossible. So all I know is what I see. And what I see is, is the player who has lost a lot of his game. I, I, you know, and I'm not sure exactly where it comes from from that he now seems to play as if his only responsibility is to get to the front of the net. Um, I, I know that Chris Kreider can carry the puck. I know that Chris Kreider can shoot the puck. He is a dangerous open ice player. He's, you know, he's got great speed. He's, he is, he is um, menacing when he's in on the forecheck, and, and yet there's just been very little evidence of any of that over the last three, four, or five weeks. It's, it's been a stretch, and I'm not sure. He, he 
gets to the front, provides the screens, but I, I think there's so much more to his game than that. And, and I know, too, with Chris, when he starts to slide a little bit, it compounds because he puts a lot on himself. And, and I don't know if that's going on now or not, but the Rangers need a lot more from Chris Kreider. I and, mean, you know, let's face it, they, they need a lot more from Kreider. He is their only player who has playoff success. And Jacob Trouba went to the uh, conference finals once with Winnipeg. But Chris Kreider has been a big-time postseason player on a big-time postseason team. He, you know, that's the kind of player he is. He needs to be that player over the last, you know, three weeks of the season, the final 14 games, um, if they're going to have a shot. And more to the point, he needs to be that player if they make it. So he needs to, you know, he needs, I'm sure he's doing all the right things in the room. I'm sure his preparation is fine. Um, no one's ever questioned his preparation, but he, he needs to, uh, he needs to find his game. Well, thanks for your time as always, Larry. We'll chat again next week. Thanks, Molly. That's a wrap for episode 52, the trade deadline edition of Up in the Blue Seats, our Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Do us a solid and give us that five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it. For number 10, Ron Duguay, I'm Molly Walker. We are back again next Thursday. Thanks for listening.